0: Welcome to episode 25 of the David Binkowski podcast. Today's episode is going to talk about data and who doesn't love data, right? We're going to talk about data. And the reason that this is important is because things are a brewing here in Puerto Rico. There is some change happening and it's not just my observations. There are numbers to back this up. And so the first segment of this podcast, my guest is Manuel Alvarez-Rivera. Manuel is a webmaster who has been running an election website, in fact, a few of them, that you can get to by going to his personal website at ManuelAlvarez.net. So, why is he on? Well, I see stuff shifting and changing and and I want to make sure that I'm seeing things appropriately, for starters. The uh, the way you can follow Manuel, if you're not, by the way, on Twitter, is by going to uh, M excuse me, Alvarez Rivera, so the letter M for Manuel and then Alvarez Rivera. Uh, And so we're going to talk about that data and what does he see, non-biased, non-partisan, just what do you see with the data because there's some stuff happening here. The second part of the podcast, it has two leaders from Juventud uh, PIP, which is the Youth Puerto Rican Independence Party. First, we have Gabriel Torres, and he's going to join us from he, he runs the JPIP Biyamone Twitter handle. So if you're on Twitter, please give JPIP Biyamone a follow. And then I also had on there was a, um, a gathering, a conference uh, of all the different Juventud PIPs or Peep, as they say, uh, of the island that happened recently in August of 2021, where they got together all the different chapters of who people to together in one location to to meet and strategize and come up with basically a handbook or playbook on how they're going to operate, which is a pretty big thing. You love to see kids organizing and getting together. And so I wanted to have Ian Piovanetti on, and he runs JPIP San Juan on Twitter, and they're on Facebook and all those things as well, so please check them out. Um, but I wanted to have them on to talk about their conference and and what it was all about. And then we also talked through some of the myths about independence. And this is one of the things I think is extremely important for people, maybe who aren't from Puerto Rico, but especially if you live here, to understand what are the myths. Because there's stuff that's said, especially online, that's just false. And there are a lot of scare tactics. And there are a lot of things that are said that, quite frankly, are are not true. And so I want to ask the guys to tell me, you know, this is what I see, true or false. So we're going to listen to that. If you're not following uh, me on Twitter, I'd be shocked, but I'm at D. Binkowski. The podcast has its own handle in case you don't want to look at my stuff and just know when there's a new episode out. Obviously, you should subscribe on all your favorite platforms. And you can also follow the show at TDBP official on Twitter. Uh, again, each person that's on this podcast has their own handles. Please follow them and get involved because discourse is good asking questions is even better and learning is the absolute best so i encourage you to do that follow everyone on this podcast and if you're listening to this on apple podcasts please rate five stars and leave us a nice review now let's get to the conversations So joining me right now is Manuel Alvarez Rivera. He is M. Alvarez Rivera on Twitter, and you can visit his website at manuelalvarez.net. Manuel, welcome into the podcast. Hello. Thanks for joining me. For people who don't know Manuel, I I met him online uh, a few years ago, and what Manuel does is he keeps records and he keeps uh, data around voting. Um, And specifically, you can go to his website, and he has several different links you can follow there to see this stuff. But he has all the different voter data uh, that's been taking place. And I've been following you on Twitter now and watching a lot of stuff take place. And meanwhile, I was wondering, could you talk about what were the big takeaways you saw from the 2020 general election here in Puerto Rico?
1: Well, I think the main uh, takeaway would be uh, that The two major parties, the pro-statehood, New Progressive Party on the one hand, which is the ruling party in Puerto Rico and has been in power since it won the 2016 election, and the opposition Popular Democratic Party, which is pro-Commonwealth, both continue to lose ground in the gubernatorial election and also uh, in other races. Specifically in the gubernatorial vote, the two parties together, have come down from nearly ninety-five percent of the vote in 2012 to eighty-one percent in 2016, and now uh, they barely. In fact, they 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 fall just short of sixty-five percent. Uh, in other words, in eight years uh, together, they have lost uh, thirty percentage points. Uh, this started. This trend started in 2016 when. the, We had uh, two independent candidates on the ballot for running for governor, uh, Manuel Cidre, who's now part of uh, governor Pedro Pierluisi's cabinet, and uh, Alexandra Lugaro, uh, who uh, would parlay her success in, or her relative success in the 2016 race into uh, forming a new political party, the Citizens' Victory Movement in Spanish Movimiento Victoria Ciudadana, known by the acronym MBC. Uh, Those two candidates, to everyone's surprise, uh, pulled together 17% of the vote, and uh, that was uh, quite a major blow uh, for the two major parties, but what I've been perceiving is that, by and large, the leadership of, of the two major parties remains in denial about the changes that are taking place that have been taking place uh, since 2016. They, they either ignore them all together or they try to explain uh, explain them away uh, as the product of uh, transient circumstances or ballot uh, design. I mean I heard just about uh, every conceivable explanation uh, other than accept that yes we are losing ground. Now, some popular Democratic Party leaders do recognize that uh, things are changing. And the thing is that w- after what happened in 2020, Puerto Rico has, in effect, a multi-party system. I can no longer speak of a, a two-party system now. Again, some uh, major party leaders insist that is not so, the two-party system is strong. Look, uh, we want all the... All the single member uh, legislative district races we won between ours, between the two parties, all the uh, mayoral races, but uh, they often overlook that uh, it's not so much that they're winning all of them, but how they're winning all of them. For example, in 2016, um, the two major, the uh, The two major parties had indeed all won between themselves, all all 40 house districts. But of those 40 house districts, 23 were won by absolute majorities. In 2020, only three uh, were won by absolute majorities. Because the two parties have continued to lose support to the point that in 2020, many representatives won their seats with uh, uh, percentage shares lower uh, than those of the candidates they defeated four years earlier,
0: and so as part of that um, that denial that they're in, I mean, that's, that's a, those are stark numbers. That's not a small change. That's not five percent, ten percent. That's thirty plus percent. That's a lot of people. Yes. Um, and are there? And, and we know that. For example, our current governor does did not even get, what, 33% was what he got of the vote?
1: Yes, yes. Uh, we come from 2012 when uh, the Popular Democratic Party elected Alejandro Garcia Padilla with almost 48% of the vote, to 2016 when uh, Ricardo Rosselló of the New Progressive Party won with 42%, and now Pedro Pierluisi wins uh, in 2020 with just 33% of the vote. That's the lowest uh, uh, share ever for uh, winning gubernatorial candidate. in fact it's the lowest uh, share ever for the uh, new progressive party and the popular democrats which won 31.5 percent in the gubernatorial election again it's, it's their lowest percentage ever even lower than the 38 percent they poll on their debut in 1940. and um so Uh, Correct me if
0: I'm wrong, but at 33%, that that presents some limitations or restrictions on the governor. He's not allowed to pick the head of his Senate, correct?
1: Well, the thing about the election was that in the legislative races, uh, there was uh, not only a virtual dead heat among uh, the uh, two parties, but the way in which the votes were distributed the popular Democratic Party managed to win a plurality of seats in the Senate and uh, a one vote uh, seat majority in the Puerto Rico House of Representatives. This was so because uh, although the two parties were head to head in terms of the popular votes, and in fact, the uh, in the Senate and uh, the New Progressive Party uh, Senate district candidates uh, had a very small plurality, their votes were concentrated in the uh, districts in and around the San Juan metro area. And they ended up racking up uh, uselessly large majorities, whereas in the rest of the island, and they ended up for the most part losing by narrow margins and that allowed the popular Democratic Party uh, to win a majority of district seats in both houses. However, uh, the popular Democratic Party made uh, a fatal miscalculation, particularly in the Senate. Uh, we have, in addition to the districts, there are uh, uh, 16, there are eight Senate districts, each elects two senators uh, by plurality voting and uh, each Senate district in turn is subdivided in five uh, house districts for a total of 40 house districts. They are also elected by plurality voting. In addition to those seats, we have 11 at-large seats in each house. Uh, they're elected uh, by what internationally is known as the single non-transferable vote system, although no one in Puerto Rico uses that term. It's a semi-proportional system. And in that system, uh, small parties can usually um, elect uh, at least uh, one senator by just nominating a single candidate and concentrating uh, uh, all, all their votes are around that candidate. However, uh, in this election, the Citizens Victory Movement uh, decided to nominate two candidates Uh, in each House. And on top of that, we had another new party, the uh, Dignity Project, a Christian Conservative Party, which also nominated one candidate. And to everyone's surprise, the two can both candidates from NBC in both houses and the candidates from uh, Dignity Project and the candidates of the Independence Party all uh, were elected. Again, the Independence Party has for many years been nominating a single candidate to maximize its possibilities of uh, having him or her elected in each house. The popular Democrats, before the election, contemplated uh, going from having six candidates out out of uh, a possible 11 seats to just five. Unfortunately, uh, some uh, all-party stalwarts intervened And basically, they said, this is a mistake. It makes makes us lose weak. Uh, There's there's a lot in play, blah, 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 blah. blah. The party nominated six candidates for each house. And to their uh, dismay, they only elected two. That is the worst performance by the popular Democrats in an at-large election. Uh, since the 1952 constitution increased the number of at-large seats to 11. I mean, you can go all the way back to the to the time the Popular Democratic Party was founded, and you will not find a worse performance. But wow. they were warned, and they chose uh, not to. Uh, uh, pay attention to the, to the warnings that were made by uh, people in Dino. Ah,
0: huh. interesting. I, um, I, again, I, follow a lot of the data. Again, if you're not following Manuel on Twitter, it's M Alvarez Rivera. Um, but if you're not following him, he posts threads on pretty regularly detailing all this stuff. Uh, and the fact that people would ignore it, you're, you're, you re- you remain nonpartisan when you post, um, you just post the facts and the data. Yes. Um, and so I, to me, you know, I work in data, so um, I don't I'm I'm agnostic to where it comes from or or how I get it. Uh, so it's interesting that someone would ignore it. And I can't say that I've not seen that before because I have in the marketing world as well. Um, but, but it's a little different um, in that situation. I think that from a political standpoint, with these parties losing ground, it's really opened the door. Um, for MVC and for, and for PIP to some extent, Not, I don't think as much,
1: but you know, they've done historically better than they' have ever done, correct? Well, uh, the Independence Party had its best result in uh, 64 years. In fact, Steve, in a gubernatorial election, they won in the gubernatorial election, they won uh, nearly 14% of the vote. And it's the first time since 1956 they break into double digit territory uh they had been stuck between three and six percent between 1960 and 2016 and uh, it was quite a surprise even for many independence party backers. I have a, a friend who's uh, a member of the party and uh, in her words uh, uh, she 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 felt that the party would do well, but she was sceptic that it would do that well. She said uh, uh, she said that, that, that she would need to be revived on an election night if the party <laughs> did as well as it uh, eventually did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's
0: that's because, that's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. What what do you think was the driver behind that? Was it just the with all of the you know, with Rick, Ricky Renuncia and Ricardo being ta- ta- you know resigning, do you think that had a lot to do with it? What what were the main drivers uh, for this?
1: And there's broadly speaking, and an, an, there, there, there's an enormous discontent with the uh, two major parties, which have been alternating in power for over uh, half a century, and people many people say okay, we, uh, we elect the popular Democrats, they, they, don't, they don't do the job, so we turn to the new progressives, they don't do the job either. And uh, people are, um, are really disgusted with what they see as the deterioration of living standards, the deterioration of the economy, the deterioration of public services. And uh, there's a growing mistrust uh, around uh, the two major parties uh, about their uh, ability to uh, get the job done once they're in power. There, there's a sense uh, that, uh, in fact, some people say there's no difference between the two of them. I, I, I tend to disagree, there, there, is, there are still differences, but the truth is that sometimes in, in, in their styles, in, in the way they, they go about uh, fulfilling their duties, uh, <laughs> Uh, they don't seem or they don't appear uh, to be that different other than one advocates statehood and the other advocates uh, Commonwealth. But again, that kind of situation you see in other countries as well in Spain, uh, where also you had a situation similar to Puerto Rico a few years ago, you had the, uh, the popular party and the socialist party as the two major parties by far, and then suddenly in the 2015 election, they both lost considerable ground to new players. Uh, also, there was uh, much denialism about the change. Some said, this, this is just transient, this is just a temporary aberration. Uh, uh, this will not last. Well, uh, it's been now six years and there's no sign that uh, Spain is going to go back to the uh, way things were before 2015. Uh, so, what we're seeing in Puerto Rico is by no means unique. Also, if you think of it in the US, even though you still have the same two parties, you have one of the two parties, the GOP, which has completely changed. It has, be, it has gone from being a more or less mainstream right-wing party into uh, uh, an extreme right-wing party, uh, and some would say a, a personality cult of Donald Trump. And some people say, "No, this is you, you'll see that, that this won't last. Uh, once Trump is out of the scene, the things will go back to normal, and things will go back to the way they were." Well, Trump is out of the presidency, and that isn't showing any sign of happening.
0: Right. In fact, what we're seeing is younger candidates picking up the torch or the mantle, and trying to be Trump himself. Whether it's DeSantis in Florida with denying science and facts and logic Mm -hmm. Uh, or the governor abbott in texas Mm -hmm.
1: yes 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 there there is no Um, no i think it's all uh,
0: business as is yeah
1: there's no indication that things will go back to the quote-unquote all normal such as it was because i must say the republican party pre-trump say circa 2015 was pretty far out to the right already yep
0: Yep. Well, and they've always, that it's a pendulum that's swinging and whether it's higher wages and people not going back to work Mm -hmm. or it's people taking COVID seriously and not, you know, Mm -hmm. doing, there's a lot of change that's happening in the U S because that pendulum has swung super far to the right. Um, I just wonder here, what's the appetite, do you think for some actual change? I mean, there's, there's, the numbers are showing things are changing. Um, and one of the things that I, I, you know, I see quite frequently are a lot of straw man arguments, a lot of bogeyman type of stuff where like, oh, if this happens, then this awful stuff, like if independence wins, we're Cuba, right? These are the kind of nonsense things that you see on, on Twitter. When in fact, there are a lot of independent countries that are not communist or like Mm Cuba. Um, but do do you think there's an appetite, I guess, I mean, the numbers are saying yes, but do you think there's a real appetite for this
1: Okay, I wrote 25 years ago on Usenet on Rico. Yes, I know, that that dates me. (laughs) And that uh, many Puerto Ricans have uh, this instinctive fear of independence as a quick slide towards poverty and dictatorship. And it predates, that fear predates Castro's Cuba. Before Fidel Castro came around, the bogeyman of choice of those opposed to independence was uh, the seemingly endless dictatorship of uh, Trujillo in the Dominican Republic, who held power for 31 years until he was assassinated uh, 60 years ago. And uh, back back in that time, people say, "Oh, if Puerto Rico becomes independent, it will be just another Dominican Republic. We will end up with another with another Trujillo, and so on and so forth." But then, uh, as luck would have it, uh, Trujillo uh, was uh, executed, or and uh, just as that happens, Fidel Castro goes uh, a full communist. So we switch from one bogeyman to another, from the far right to the far left. And now, well, you that's what you hear these days. If Puerto Rico becomes independent, uh, it will be, it will inevitably become another Cuba, it will go communist. And uh, I must say again, those kinds, those kind of fears are not totally unique. Uh, to Puerto Rico, for example, in South Africa, the white minority was absolutely convinced for a long time that if they share power with the black majority, the black majority would rush to uh, establish a one party communist regime, nationalize everything inside and probably expel all the whites in the process. That of course, didn't come to pass because uh, by the time uh, South Africa moved towards a multi-party democracy, uh, the um, the communist bloc in Eastern Europe, and then later in the USSR itself collapsed. In fact, it, it was the, that collapse, uh, uh, that collapse uh, helped uh, South Africa move uh, towards a multi-ra- multi-racial democracy because on the one hand, uh, the whites no longer had uh, their bogeyman of choice around. And on the other hand, uh, the, uh, the Black Nationalist Movement lost uh, a, a source of uh, support, mostly not really material, but, but there was a considerable moral support. And it also made them realize that uh, for some of them, not all of them were communists, Mandela certainly wasn't a communist, uh, but it made them realize that, uh, that, uh, that the political and economic model of Eastern Europe and the USSR was no longer viable, that they needed to accommodate uh, uh, the whites and accept uh, capitalism, uh, as a matter of fact, which they did. And of course, uh, they did so because the white liberals seized the opportunity to uh, influence Mandela and, and persuade him to go that route. Uh, and uh, as it was, well, uh, South Africa uh, has not turned to communism. Also, there was another interesting aspect to that. Uh, Usually, when when white South Africans said, uh, this country will turn into a dictatorship, uh, this and that, it will go communist, they usually ignored that one of their neighbors, Botswana, had uh, a a very successful democratic regime. And much in the same way in Puerto Rico, when I hear, oh, Puerto Rico will become another Cuba, another Venezuela, another Nicaragua. And what about Costa Rica? Costa Rica has had a democracy going on uh, for nearly 125 years, with just a, a couple uh, interruptions—a a brief dictatorship uh, between 1917 and 1919, and a very short civil war in 1948. But other than that, it has been ruled by uh, democratically elected uh, regimes uh, for most of that time. But Curiously, Costa Rica rarely comes up in the uh, in the discussions about independence. It's always the worst-case scenario. And to be certain, uh, I think there's some reason to be concerned that an independent Puerto Rico might veer uh, towards authoritarian rule, something like what you are seeing in El Salvador under uh, President Bukele. But uh, One thing is to say that's a possibility. Another thing is to say that's a given. And that's where I just don't agree with with these narratives that it's inevitable. I don't consider it inevitable. I consider it a a, a cause to be concerned. That is that uh, I would be lying to you if I said I'm not worried about that prospect if Puerto Rico became independent, but I don't think it's necessarily what it has to happen inevitably, which is uh, what uh, most opponents of independence, especially statehooders and particularly those on the far right, uh, keep uh, pushing day and night.
0: Right. And I've seen that firsthand, uh, some of the comments and, and things like that. And I, I think it's 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 easy to look at at other countries and discount the ones that are having success um, and and only point to the bad because it's a scare tactic instead of promoting. The possibility of what these things may bring, if let's say statehood did happen, uh, that's not the argument that they push. It's always to try to discredit the other side instead of push their own, which to me shows they don't have much of an argument. Manuel, do you think that that this trend uh, is going to continue? That we're going to continue to see lack of support for for PNP and for PPD?
1: I think there's a distinct possibility that in the 2024 election. will go from what political scientists will describe as a multi-party system with two dominant parties into a full multi-party system with four major parties. I think there's a a very real chance that we could end up with a four-way race in 2024 with the the new progressives, the popular Democrats, uh, the Independence Party, and the Citizens Victory Movement Uh, all around uh, the low to mid 20s and the Dignity Project probably uh, closing on 10%. So that, I think, could happen. I can say for certain that it will. In fact, I would say that right now the best that the uh, two parties, the two major parties can hope, the best that the new progressives and the popular Democrats can hope in for in 2024 is that uh, the result of the election will be similar to that of the 2020 election in the regular polling places where 83%, five out of six voters cast their ballots uh, last November. I say the regular polling places because in those polling places, and the two major parties uh, barely broke 60% together. They made it to nearly 65% with the outcome of the special uh, polling stations where um, people cast advanced ballots and to, in, in the smaller amounts, uh, provisional ballots or ballots uh, that could not be tallied by the vote counting machines that had to be counted by hand, but mostly advanced ballots, and those advanced ballots were mostly cast by voters uh, over the age, uh, or, or at 60, that is 60 or over. And we know, because those votes were tallied separately, that uh, the, older, the uh, that older electorate was still far more beholden, remained far more beholden to the major parties than the the rest of voters. Uh, But even so, and that's something that still surprises me, the Independence Party among that largely older electorate managed to win nearly 7% of the vote for governor. And that's, that alone, that result alone is better than any uh, result obtained by the Independence Party, island-wide between 1960 and 2016, and again, it's significant because it's precisely the older generation that's uh, that the one that's more uh, uh, resistant to the uh, idea of independence and the ones that are more inclined to say independence uh, will we will become a dictatorship. We'll die of hunger, this and that. Interesting. Well, man, well, meanwhile, this
0: is fascinating. And it's going to be interesting to see what the ground game is going to be for, for all the parties moving forward. Can they continue to have outreach and, and do that outreach and make headway? And, and I, my, the biggest question for me, I've only been here three years, but in seeing that erosion and in seeing some of the younger people get more involved uh, and, you know, continue to do the grassroots work that's required to actually educate people and have honest discussions, uh, it's going to be very interesting to see. I, I, I think you're right, but we'll see how the numbers play out, that we're going to see these other parties continue to gain ground as the majority parties, quote unquote, for now, uh, continue to lose ground. Um, again, Manuel, Manuel, thanks for coming on. If you don't follow him on Twitter, please do that. It is well worth your time. It is M. Alvarez Rivera, and his website is manuelalvarez.net. Manuel, thank you so much for joining the podcast. You're welcome. A pleasure. That was part one my interview with Manuel. A lot of great takeaways there, and the numbers don't lie. The majority parties here are sliding. Other parties are rising, and there's a reason for that. You can't go 60-plus years as a party running on an idea or a political campaign based on an idea that you can't fulfill. And this has been my my biggest um it's not a complaint but observation and the thing that I've seen people here resist the most is the reality. And I get it if you've never been to the US, I get it if you do never live there, if you don't understand the climate, the culture, whatever but there are people in that party who know better. They know better. And so it's built on a lie. When Joe Biden says, don't even bring it up to me, when he wants to create a task force to quote unquote fix Puerto Rico, when a counter bill uh, to the statehood bill has more support than the statehood bill, uh, that's those are not things that would lead me to believe that people are being honest about the situation. And when you're not dealing with facts, honesty, and the truth, then you are gaslighting first and foremost. But second, you're never actually going to get to a solution that's going to help the people. And I think that's the most frustrating thing. People can banter all they want online and go back and forth. And, I, and like I talked about on a previous episode with Arturo, we can scream about it all we want. And none of it changes because the fact remains it's an unfulfilled promise that, per the US themselves, said ain't gonna happen. So, when a door closes, that means another one opens. And this is why I wanted to have the kids from PIP on, young men from PIP on, to talk about what they're doing and clarify their platform and clarify what it is they're doing and talk about some of the myths. Because, look, you spend five minutes online and mention independence, and someone will scream Cuba, as Manuel alluded to, and it's a ridiculous argument. The person saying that stuff should not be taken seriously. Um, it, you know, jumping to the worst possible conclusion of something, when there's no history that supports it, especially in 2021, uh, is just insanity. So, again, when you when you've misinformed people for 60 years and lied to them for 60 years, why not add another one on the pile, right? So I digress. This, t- this conversation is a three-way discussion, by the way, and it sounds like we're in a room together. Um, and it, it's, it's good. Uh, you, you can hear some young men who have a goal. They're educated and, um, you know, they have a plan. And more than anything else, uh, as someone who runs a business, has as a coach, as a trainer... If you do things without a plan, you are going to fail. Uh, uh, there's just there's there's dumb luck, sure, but having a plan means everyone can buy in, get on board, etc. And so, if everyone's marching in the same direction and these numbers hold up, but well, these boys are onto something big here. So enjoy the conversation uh, with Ian JPIP San Juan and Gabrielle JPIP Bayamon. That was part one, my interview with Manuel. A lot of great takeaways there, and the numbers don't lie. The majority parties here are sliding. Other parties are rising. And there's a reason for that. You can't go 60-plus years uh, as a party running on an idea or a political campaign based on an idea that you can't fulfill. And this has been my my biggest... Um, it's not a complaint, but observation, and the thing that I've seen people here resist the most, is the reality. And I get it, if you've never been to the US, I get it if you do never live there, if you don't understand the climate, the culture, whatever. But there are people in that party who know better. They know better. And so it's built on a lie. When Joe Biden says, don't even bring it up to me, when he wants to create a task force to quote unquote, fix Puerto Rico, when a counter bill uh, to the statehood bill has more support than the statehood bill, uh, that's, those are not things that would lead me to believe that people are being honest about the situation. And when you're not dealing with facts, honesty, and the truth, then you are gaslighting first and foremost. But second, you're never actually going to get to a solution that's going to help the people. And I think that's the most frustrating thing. People can banter all they want online and go back and forth. And I I talked about it on a previous episode with Arturo. We can scream about it all we want and none of it changes because the fact remains it's an unfulfilled promise that per the U.S. themselves said ain't going to happen. So when a door closes, that means another one opens. And this is why I wanted to have the kids from the PIP on, young men from PIP on, to talk about what they're doing and clarify their platform and clarify what it is they're doing and talk about some of the myths. Because, look, you spend five minutes online and mention independence and someone will scream Cuba, as Manuel alluded to. And it's a ridiculous argument. The person saying that stuff should not be taken seriously. Um, it, you know, jumping to the worst possible conclusion of something when there's no history that supports it, especially in 2021. Uh, it's just insanity. So again, when you've, when you've misinformed people for 60 years and lied to them for 60 years, why not add another one on the pile, right? So I digress. This t- this conversation is a three-way discussion, by the way, and it sounds like we're in a room together. Um, and it's, it's good. Uh, you, you can hear some young men who have a goal... They're educated, and um, you know they have a plan. And more than anything else, uh, as someone who runs a business, has as a coach, as a trainer, if you do things without a plan, you are going to fail. Uh, uh, there's just there's there's dumb luck, sure, but having a plan means everyone can buy in, get on board, etc. And so, if everyone's marching in the same direction and these numbers hold up, but well, these boys are onto something big here. So, enjoy the conversation. Uh, with Ian JPIP San Juan and Gabriel JPIP Bayamon. Joining me today from Partido Independentista Puertorriqueño are Ian Piovanetti from JPIP San Juan and Gabriel Torres from JPIP Bayamon. Guys, welcome to the podcast. <laughs>
2: It's a pleasure. pleasure to be here, David. Thank you for having me. My pleasure is
0: all mine. Um, I, you know, we follow each other on, on Twitter. If you don't follow them, it's JPIP San Juan and JPIP Bayamón on Twitter. So give them both a follow, uh, and you can see what the, what they're doing. But what I want them to tell everybody and our listeners is what just happened. So Juventud PIP was a historic assembly that just took place in San Lorenzo, and you had such a big hand in that. I'd like you to tell people, you know, what that was all about first and foremost.
2: Uh, all right. So, what happened um, in San Lorenzo? It's uh, we we went to this place and had this place uh, called La Fraternidad in San Lorenzo, and we we really prepared it uh, a, a lot more than than it used to be. Uh, we we cleaned every single thing. Uh, we we actually spent uh, months looking for a place to do this because it, it was very difficult to actually get a place to to have an assembly with more than like 100-150 people inside uh, a building during a pandemic when cases Going up, so we've actually had to postpone this process like six, seven times. Like our first proposed assembly was in March, so we actually left that completely and said, "All right, it'll be in April," and just like kept going until it rapidly switched to August. And we we honestly uh, thought that well, the cor- cor- coronavirus pandemic would be a lot more controlled, and it was, but we we obviously got some a bit of a backlash in during these type of weeks so we we had to accommodate we had to uh, set the place to be open and since we already had made so much plans, we already spent so much time planning this we said it has to happen I mean we've set it back since March we we need to do this right now or or we're not going to be moving the way that we want to so we we got there. It was about 200 people. We had uh, buses coming from Aguadilla, from Matillo, from San Juan, Mayagüez, and Ponce. So we had buses picking up people all over the all, all over the archipelago, and it and it honestly turned out great because we we packed the place. We already we we. The there was people like standing up and just like saying, all right, we, there's no more seats left, so we just got to stay here for the next two hours. And it started raining a lot and just like a lot of bad things had happened, but no one stood up and got left. It was honestly so good to see just like 200 members of the Puerto Rican Youth Independence Party in one place because... Like organizing youth is, is not the easiest thing you could do. A, l- a lot of them just like confirm and just like not go or, or it's a lot of processes that, that just like end up making it so much more difficult. Um, so we honestly got prepared uh, through a couple of months. Uh, I'm not gonna say that I, I did like the most of the work because there was so much people that worked on this. There was like 10 15 people that literally spent like nights awake just like getting every single detail out of this to be perfect. We planned like the transportation, we planned what who are the leaders that, that are going to be there, we, we planned every single aspect. We planned uh giving out uh books, get doing a, a festival so people could just like sell most of their stuff, and from San Juan, we had like a, a lot of efforts uh, directed towards this because we made a uh, 300 300 alcapurrias, like, which was like a whole day of work, and it honestly just like amounted to such a good assembly and to such a big turnout. And yeah, also, but uh, uh, is saying right there is that uh, we are, we actually did a uh, really big posters that say when uh, to. Uh, assembly, uh, the hour, the date, and the time. And there was actually people that got there just like saying, oh, I saw that poster on the street and I came here. It's, it's just like insane how how every single detail of work actually got got to this, uh, this moment and actually made it so special.
0: Well, I've been part of putting together events and stuff and it's no small task. So I know I can only imagine the amount of work, especially getting people from all over the island to try to come to one place at one time. So tell people what exactly this was all about. Why was there this gathering? Two hundred people. I saw the photos online, so I it was like, "I said, I was, I was very impressed." I need to learn more about this. So tell people who don't know what this was. What, what was the gathering all about?
2: All right. So uh, the gathering was probably just like the culmination of an eight month eight month process that touches base to base to base on just like on a weekly occasion. Just like we we try to. Get stay communicated and organized up until the last detail so we always get uh everything like the best way possible that we can so we we uh spent like six months on uh like reglamento which is like uh, sorry if uh you know how to say it in english
3: uh it was basically we've been planning and uh congregating discussing just overall it's been a process of months and months of reunions between uh, all the youth to discuss a, a rule book around organization and a rule book that not only we can agree on, but also the leadership in the PIP part.
2: Yeah. And honestly, it's uh, like he says, it's uh, it's a lot of reunions and everything. And it's not like oh, the only thing that came out was this uh, the rule book. We actually we, we do these reunions. You can see us very, very present in our protests, you can see us very present in the streets, we you can see us present in all of the activities that were like commemorating the party and our founders and our leaders and we're just trying to do all that social and community work that needs to be done for people to understand that we're doing this for serious. We want independence for our nation. And why, the reasons why we're doing this is just not to be woke, just to be like part of a, a, a movement based in time. But no, we, we actually want this to have like the biggest outcomes that we want. And we treat every single thing like it's like, might be the biggest thing that might happen because you, you need to be perfect in this independence movement. Because right now, with everything that's happening, all the all the growth that's happening in, in the organization, there's people everywhere that are trying to just like find. In the haystack to just like pinch out and, and just like hit us in the face, and it's honestly just like so good and so relieving just seeing everyone so organized, so cohesive, and
3: just like unified. Unifying. Unified, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things that's impressed me the most about, about what you've been doing, uh, and this is not just for San Juan and Bayamon, but just all over the island, is that the message and, and all the way up to obviously Juan Delma. But it's, it's getting the message out in a grassroots way and being positive. And when I uh, started looking at, you know, who am I going to vote for and all these kinds of things, you know, I want to see a platform. I want to see a plan. I'm a planner. I like to know what's going to happen when possible. I'm also an adventurous person. But I like to know if, if you're going to have success, whether it's building a house, building a company, starting up anything, you have to have a plan just winging it is not enough or having a slogan is not enough. And I think one of the things that I, like I said, that I really like about what, what PIP is doing is there's a plan. There's a, this is what we stand for. These are the things we want to do. And I would say that even if it's not, um, even if it's not something that, you know, I, when I look at every piece of the platform that Juan put out, you know, let's, growing on food we need to have less food insecurity who would who would disagree with that concept we need better education who would disagree with that concept so like all these things are not necessarily i think the platform itself speaks so loudly for what this movement's about and the notion of doing it in a positive way is quite honestly very refreshing because it's easy to see hate and vitriol online. It's easy to watch somebody try to slam somebody else or that's that to me is where it becomes very toxic. And I think the way you're going about this, especially doing it with young people, is admirable. And it's and it's a way that if I were doing something, that's how I would want to do it. And so I, I really like what you're doing there. Now, outside of, you know, shirts and books, was was the main purpose just to get everyone together in one place and do that and get this playbook so it's like, hey if you're going to do this, we have to do this in a consistent manner, which again is, that's part of being a good organization is consistency. Was it this rule book and the thing you put together, was it just about creating that consistency so that when things happen around the Island, it's not different in one place? Yeah. Than another?
2: So sorry, I'm talking a lot. I, I, this will be my last, uh, probably, <laughs> but uh, I just wanted to say that it's, it's important. Just like other than having this rule book, uh, Having all these young people in the same place, all of them cohesive in their ideas, it's it's more than a rulebook because it kind of gives you the idea of what people want to do after this is an independent nation. It kind of gives you an idea of what we should be, of what we should be, of what we should be doing in order to to, to get to this uh, to get this goal, and so. It's it's more than a rule book it's it's a plan for for a nation it's a plan for our future it's a plan for our future of our, of our kids or our grandkids of anyone and um, it's honestly uh, it's it's very unifying and very 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 good good for the heart to see that that everyone is just like coming together and that we might have uh, internal discussions and problems but we all just reach to the common purpose that we just know we have to do this and we just know uh, that if we don't do this no one else is going to do it so we're just like uh, we're moving along and just like where the where the current takes us
3: so I, I would say can I get bro? yeah I would say that in addition to the rule book in addition to being an activity where people from all over the island can congregate it does give you a sense of purpose and unity. Because these people, especially uh, uh, I'm speaking for myself, I live in Bayamon, so I don't get to go outside of the metro area a lot on my free time. And when you live in an area and you don't go outside of it that much, you do get a sense of permanence. This is all I know. This is my area. This is my bubble. And when you see people that have the same goals, that have the same ideas, that have the same purpose as you do, and they live on another part of the island that you don't even talk to them, you don't even see them, but you know they're there. You know they exist because you came to this one area, this one spot where we all came together and said, this is what we want. This is what we believe. And this is our future. Our future is Puerto Rico as a nation united the youth with old people with Anybody who wants to be with us as a nation, as free and independent people, you're you're here to stay with us anywhere, anytime, any, any place, any, uh, I apologize. Any, any person can join Guentut Peep and join Peep and feel proud of it because there isn't hate, there isn't vitriol, there isn't fear. Us, it's positivity, it's commonality, it's purpose, it's union.
0: You know, it's very, it's very different from a lot of the other stuff that you see, especially if you're online, and and the attacks and the negativity and the, you know, some of the things. So and, and so, I've seen this firsthand. Uh, you know, with with not just my people attacking me, but attacking anybody who doesn't agree with them. Uh, you know, on what they think the future. Uh, of the island might be, or which party they belong to, or whatever, it just becomes a big cesspool, quite frankly. And what I've seen a lot of, as part of that, is I've seen a lot of people pushing misinformation uh, to try to, you know, to try to sway opinions, apparently. I'm not sure it doesn't work, I don't think, but because, you know, as Manuel talked about, the the, the polling numbers and the, the voting numbers don't line up with that with what they're doing, right? It's, it's not working. Like you would think by looking at data, which is what I do for a living and you see your numbers sinking that being an asshole is not going to swing in an upswing. So at any rate, so I think it's, it's extremely positive, encouraging and and welcome uh, to see people who want change and do it in a way that is receptive and, and uh, helpful and all these different things. Um, So to that point, there's a lot of, of stuff that's pushed out there about, indip- about it, what, what would an independent Puerto Rico look like, right? And I've seen this. I've seen this firsthand. I've seen the ridiculous comments. Um, you know, The first one is that if, the, if, if Puerto Rico was not part of the U.S. in some capacity, that we would turn into Cuba. That's the big one. That's the big selling point to scare off you know, people who ran from Cuba to Florida or whatever, and, and they're trying to pl- plant that seed. That we'd end up being, or Venezuela is another one, or some like poor third world "quote unquote" country, and that's just simply
3: not true. I'd like, can can either one of you talk to that that myth? Um, when it comes to Puerto Rican myths and, especially uh, specifically around independence, um, something that you were speaking on, I, I want to preface this by saying, yeah. um when you have a party that is based on one agenda, for example, they have one goal in mind. And let's say that that's that party has federal funds in mind, an example. So that's their goal, right? And if you have a party that does not have anything else around that plan, around that structure, or does not have something that brings people in, not just based on fear, but on... We were stating commonalities, uh, things that, you know, people like, people want to be a part of. They feel intrigued or they feel curious. They they feel that they want to be part of this, not because they're, they're in fear of missing out, but because it's something that they enjoy. So when it comes to that, the Puerto Rico Independence Party and what they promote, this idea, it's not about becoming independent willy nilly like we're gonna come all of a sudden poor pharmacies are gonna leave uh texaco's gonna leave all these companies all these huge multinational corporations are just up and up gonna leave us because we're in an independent state is just false and based on fear because no country that has ever become independent goes through that
0: right and you look at like like when well this is my favorite example just because Boricua wrote the Constitution, but look at Ireland. They had a setup where they were this quote unquote tax haven and they wanted they wanted to flip the script on it. And what they said was, if you're not going to invest here, then you gotta go. You're not gonna get your tax breaks anymore. And all of a sudden, well, they started hiring Irish people and the Irish income levels all went up and prosperity went up and they're rated one of the happiest countries in the entire world. And they're independent. No one ever said, "Oh, if you become independent, you're going to be like Cuba." No one ever threw that one out there when they were doing going through this thing, right? So it's a scare tactic. And I, I, to me, it's to me what it shows is an inability to promote your own agenda. And so I'm going to just I'm going to attack yours with falsehoods and, and false claims. And that to me is it's discouraging because what you want to see at the end of the day, if you're a voter or, or anybody, is you want an honesty, and you want someone to put the cards on the table so I can make a decision. And when half the cards are flip them over and it's a joker and it's full of shit, then you're like, well, this is not, there's no way I can believe in this. So this is why I,
3: I, I think it's, it's a huge misnomer, quite frankly. And, and yeah, so that ends. It it also speaks to uh, how the party operates. It's basically an in-group. It's if, if you are with us and you think like us, then you have no fear of missing out, of, of not being part of the change, the movement, all that stuff. So, when it comes to how EIP operates and, and its youth, it's completely different. It's, it's grassroots, it is about positivity, it is about encouraging each other, it is about uplifting each other, it's about promoting health, it's about promoting equality, it's about just being pri- like pride and true Puerto Ricans who just want to work for a common good, and that is the prosperity of the island.
2: The I honestly uh, also wanna wanna add that there's like yeah it, there's a lot of people that say oh you're you're gonna be a third world country just like Cuba or Venezuela and I mean, it's just like a false misinterpretation of, of what actually independence is. People te- have a tendency to just say oh, independence uh, is is evidently communism. It's just like I mean. Link. Where's the link? I mean, and I'm not saying that, it's because, a completely uh, negative.
0: What about New Zealand? Are they communists? What about, I mean, like, literally, you can list off a bunch of different, not just independent nations, but even islands <laughs> that are not communists, but like, yeah. that's the link, right? The United States, it's a republic yeah. and it's
2: independent. I mean, how could you say that the thing right. of capitalism isn't not? And it's just like a false equivalent that it's always tried to be, be met up, and how. After these, the independence, we're just going to be completely falling without a parachute, and just like we're not going to know what to do. But we're actually, since uh, in 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 the in the Puerto Rican independence movement, youth, uh, we're we're actually organizing ourselves to to know what we want out of a, out of an independent Puerto Rico. We want a social democratic nation. We want a social democratic uh, republic that will stand for the people, for the people, but. We'll also uh, invest in, in its in its citizens. Will also invest in uh, I mean, will also infrastructure in its infrastructure, in, in its inter- infrastructure and just uh, just about doing everything possible in, in order to to better the conditions of the people living here because people don't quite understand that once you're referring to this third world country I mean, some Puerto Ricans kind of do live in this, which I hate the word, I hate saying this third world shit, but a lot of Puerto Ricans do live in extreme poverty. I mean, most of Puerto Ricans they live, live in extreme poverty. Most of kids in these in the island, just like I think it's about 62 percent of kids that actually live in poverty, and 42 that live in extreme poverty. So it's 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 a system that has quite frankly failed us, and we need to move in to move uh, in into a system that will actually benefit us and will not leave us with the, with these disadvantages. I
0: think that goes. I think that goes to um, another. And from what I remember from reading uh, Juan Delmo's plan, mm-hmm. is that there is, I believe, a ten-year transition period mm-hmm. that includes, you know, those federal dollars that we can't live without. But it, it includes making sure that we get what the fair share is, so to speak, for the island. Um, so it's it, to me, it's that uh, you can you can say. Fear of the unknown is always the easiest thing. We talked about this before we started recording, right? It's you plus our brand is a better you. Or if you don't have our brand, you're going to die. And that's how the opposition to independence positions it, is that if, well, if we're not with the U.S., then we're definitely going to die. And that's just not true. In fact, if you could speak to this, and again, off before we started recording, and if you go back and listen to the Puerto Rico episode with Arturo, Uh, We talked about the number of kids that leave the island every year, the number of graduates, engineers that leave the island. So the one thing I want to know about that is like people say, well, Puerto Rico, well, you can't be independent because you don't have the resources and you just won't be effective that way, which is another myth they throw out there based on fear. Right. We have during COVID, I believe I remember Puerto Rican scientists came up with creating their own tests and kits. Because, and they're living in the U.S., and they did that so they could help the island. And they, they, and even scientists here on the island created their own kits and tests. And to me, it's just another false, you know, false statement that's based on 100 percent on fear. But I mean, like this, can you talk about that? Like Puerto Rico doesn't have the resources, and you, you'll never be able to pull it off. Which you know,
3: I, which to me sounds ridiculous. But I'll let Ian take this one. Out. Uh, all
0: right, and so. Not,
2: uh... Honestly, just starts at looking at the numbers, and just like looking at the numbers of the money that's made here, the the capital gains that that corporations actually make off their off their subsidiaries on the island, and just like the amount of money that is actually being extracted from it, a lot of people just like say, oh, these federal funds keep Puerto Rico afloat, but it's it's honestly just like devastating to see the amount of federal funds that come here. I don't. I don't see a of dollar of them, uh, no one sees them. Uh, most of that money actually uh, goes toward what people call uh, uh, assistance to to the most disadvantaged, like uh, the PAM. WIC, WIC, yeah, and which is, which is which is something that is uh, something that needs to be replaced once these federal funds are gone, and it's just. Having more control of our borders, of our of our tools, will just like uh, give us a better chance at actually controlling the amount of money that actually leaves the island, will add, that actually uh, gets spent on the island, that gets invested on the island. We need a a bit a bit more of a fiscalization to to. What investors do on the island because most investors actually come here and just settle under Act 20 and will hire someone to clean their pool once a month, say they're creating a job. They, they pay 60 bucks 12 times a year and they say, okay, I'm, I'm done. And I made a million dollars off uh, uh, tax incentives. But it's actually... Uh, it's the other way around. When yep. when Puerto Rico is yep. actually, it's not supporting the U.S., but more money is being extracted from Puerto Rico than what is being given to it.
0: And I, I just had this discussion. I was I was back in the U.S. talking with somebody that I didn't even know, and she's like, "Oh, where do you live?" And I said, "Puerto Rico." And she goes, "Oh, don't we pay for everything down there?" I was like, "Actually, it's the other way around." I said, "If you look at the GDP and you look at the amount of money coming in versus what goes out." It's actually a net benefit for the US to have a relationship with Puerto Rico than all the way around. So, yes, there's money coming, but how much is leaving? And it's a lot more. It's a lot (laughs) more.
3: It's (laughs) it's crazy because $5 billion come in federally. That's what we get for Ban, all the assistance, all the federal benefits. That's what we get. Other than that, we spend $65 billion. In U.S. goods and services. It's disproportional the amount that leaves the island versus what comes in. And, and there is just no way that you can just say, oh, the scales are balanced. Oh, they, we have a perfect yeah. relationship. No, it's tipped. Well, then you add in things like the Jones Act and you add like the, we don't control
0: where we, where these, how the ports work. We don't control where they come from. We can't get things from Europe or South America or wherever it might be. Because it also goes through Jacksonville to, to secure maritime union jobs for the U.S., which you know I'm not against union jobs, but it should be it should be competitive. You, it should not be a monopoly in which we have no say, and so we pay X number of dollars a gallon of milk, six bucks. Six I bucks. mean, it's that's crazy. Yeah, it's insane. So that's uh, that's that's one of the things I think people don't want to. They don't want to admit it. It's true, it's factual. I can show you this, these are facts, and yet in their heads, they're like, Oh, yeah, we paid for that place. I'm like, You don't actually, you don't. So, um, the other piece of this that I think that there's a myth is that the culture here is based on, uh, you know, laziness, um, not wanting to contribute, you know, and a willful ignorance, so to speak. And, And I just, I've not found that to be the case. Um, actually, there's a labor shortage right now because there's so much work. Uh, more than anything else but that's to me that's another myth that's just out there i i've met like i've met a lot of people since i've moved here i've met people who live uh, you know diaspora who are in the u.s it's just not true it's, it's, it's that that uh mm-hmm. that people don't, don't want to do stuff for work it's just I, like i said we and we talked again off, off off the air or before we recorded about this and the u.s is seeing this right now the u.s from a labor standpoint is a pendulum and it's swung so far this way that people are working two and three jobs and they still can't afford their rent and that's in the US now now apply that here right that pendulum has to swing back the other way for there to be any kind of uh, fairness or, or equity for it to be to incentivize people I, I shouldn't have to work 80 hours a week just to pay for my groceries and, and for a house that's just not sustainable for anybody not just here anywhere it's just not sustainable and a lot of countries are looking at their models and saying this really doesn't fucking work does it maybe a 4-day work week maybe a 3-day work week they're trying different models to see how they can make it a more equitable thing so i i've always felt that that was a myth that it's just not it's just Simply not true. I don't know if you have anything more. Yeah, and
2: just like a small comment to to what we were speaking of a couple minutes ago, is that you said there's a lot of graduates in Puerto Rico that actually have uh, master's degrees that actually have. Uh, bachelors and doctorates and they're extremely capable people with extreme talents but you said that there's there's opportunity for jobs here but there's not actual opportunity for progress and growth because these jobs are part-time and are not actually like specifically uh, uh, made for people that that actually have a lot more a lot more abilities and have worked uh, have worked years and years and years to maybe get a better salary just because they have a master's or a doctorate and when you offer them 70, 7 dollars an hour just like, it's not viable so people don't want to work and that's the reason why we get so much people that leave here every single year and it's just like it's not only the people that are just professionals that, that are leaving the islands, because even though there is a lot of them that are a lot of professionals, it's a lot of people just like people like you and you and me, just like uh, just looking for work and are just not really uh, finding it, not finding really it. finding any any type of work that will actually sustain their way of living, because right here you can find is, is honestly not an opportunity for progress. It'll just, it's it's an opportunity to, to be stuck
0: in a system that, that exploits you. So it's the Walmart model, right? It's, well, yeah, you have a job. You can't live on it. So just go apply for that federal assistance that we mentioned earlier that, that we just so much love so much, whereas opposed to if you just paid someone what they're worth, you wouldn't need it. And I, this is what got me kicked out of the, the various... Uh, Facebook groups you know, talking about this stuff. I said, you're not a job creator. You're an exploiter. Let's be honest. And if you're going to get a tax break of any kind, the least you could do is pay it forward and make sure that the people who are actually doing the work, like the ones who are actually using their brains, sitting in desks for eight hours, 10 hours a day, like taking away from living an actual life, then you should be compensating them fairly. And that was, you know, I've talked with a reporter about this. Her boyfriend had to leave. He graduated Calahio and he had to leave. Because in Arizona, they're going to pay them four times as much than they would here. That's exploitation. That's not a better opportunity. or better. You want a person to leave an island from their family, from where they grew up, where they have all their resources, all their things are here, and go live in a desert where there's no water, but we'll pay you more money. We'll figure out the water thing later, I guess. I don't know. But like that makes no sense to me. And for these companies that do this, this again goes back to the Ireland thing and we can call the shots then. And we can say if you're gonna get some incentive to set up shop here, you gotta pay a living wage. You gotta pay what you pay there. Otherwise it's not equitable for any it doesn't work. It doesn't it's, it's equitable for them, but not for people here. And it's just, to me that's that's always gonna be the, the battle or the challenge is you always wanna have companies and you wanna have producing things. Like that's kind of what how life works. You have to produce things that get paid for them so you can do that as well and support. You know, like you mentioned, a social democratic platform and all those things—it's not going to be free, so we got to pay for it. But if I can't afford it, or if I can't actually—if I have to work sixty hours to make enough to not live, then what are we doing here? And that, to me, is just—it's just straight exploit- exploitation. And people don't want to hear that. I was told that I, I was told I don't understand economics when I said you should pay Puerto Ricans what you pay in the U S and I'm like, no, I do understand economics. You're just being an asshole. That's the difference.
3: <laughs> I, I wanted to add to that. Um, when it comes to low skilled jobs and low skilled workers and high skilled jobs and high skilled workers. Uh, and when it comes to way of living, these are all things that don't get discussed in economics because it involves social aspects that we like to ignore because we only want to see at the numbers. We only want to see that yeah. GDP going up and if productivity is up, That means my pocket is getting bigger. But when we look at a society and how productive it is, an unhappy society and a suffering society, it will not be as productive as one that is not. Why? Because people won't have time to actually care, to be invested, to look at the social contract and say, Mm -hmm. I want to do this. I'll be a part of this. I'm okay with this. I'm okay with going to this place, putting in how many hours I need to put in and then going back out and going back to my my house, my family and all of this uh, external stuff that we always like to not involve in discussions that have to do with our jobs. and And that's a very frustrating thing when it comes to corporate culture. It's like that. It's very individualistic and it's all about business. It's you and the company. Yeah, but I have a life outside of the company. And what about my life outside of the company? The company cannot provide me the necessary funds so I can sustain my way of living. Why should I stay here? If any job does not offer me that, why should I stay here? And that's what forces Puerto Ricans to move to the United States in a disproportionate rate. They don't see opportunities here to grow. They only see exploitation. Yeah.
0: Well, then to to that point about GDP, productivity, and all those things, let's also add in health outcomes, Let's also add in prescription drug use. Let's also add in just general happiness. And again, you can look at the indexes. They do global indexes for all this stuff every year. And yeah, the U.S. makes a lot of money, but they're not happy at all. And the work-life balance is totally out of whack. And like, I, I was actually surprised. You know, I was a coach in, in, in the States. And you go to games and there'd be some parents there. You go to a game here the entire fucking family's there. It's not like one parent. The whole family is there cheering wow. on the son or daughter or whomever's playing, and you know that's it's. They push games in the U.S. to like seven p.m. so that the parents can make it, and it's like seven o'clock. You had to work until six and then get like that's crazy to me, and you know. So I, I think the U.S. is learning. By the way, like they're coming to this realization, like wow, we just worked from home and everything was more productive. Okay. Like they're coming around on that. We talked about that pendulum swinging; it's swinging back, but it's nowhere near where it needs to be, and it's just not a healthy lifestyle by any stretch. Um, so, at any rate, the the to me, the culture of Puerto Rico is to put Puerto Ricans first. My kid comes first, and my boss says it's okay to leave if I work at the bank or I work because my kid's got a game at three, and I'm going to the game, and that's how it is, and that's the the, the to me culturally. It's just not congruent with how they do business. And to try to impose that here, to me, is just insanity. Again, having lived here for three years, it is a different culture here. I don't give a shit what anybody says. It's a different culture. And it's a and it's a good culture. It's a family-oriented culture. Again, my family, I've never, we've never been closer. Because we spend time together. We do things together. We have adventures together. We support one another. We go to the games. We do that stuff together. And so... I, I think that it is, it's not a matter of people don't want to work. There's a whole myriad of factors that go into that statement that need to be dissected without being generalized and being, quite, quite frankly, bigoted about it because that's what it really comes down to. So we talked about, we talked about the third world country and, and the resources, and now they're saying, well, the other one I've seen is we don't produce enough. Puerto Rico doesn't produce enough of anything to be self-sustaining. What's your take on that one? Ian, I'll, I'll let you take that.
3: Uh,
2: first of all, it, that, it's true we don't really, uh, we don't manufacture the most things. We don't uh, have the biggest it, uh, agricultural industry. But... Just because we don't have it doesn't mean that it doesn't get to exist, or, it, or that it didn't exist. I mean, Puerto Rico has always like shifted from one uh, economic sector to the other, and it's not really diversified its way of its way of getting income. It it did become a, a agricultural oriented economy, just like uh, in. All Throughout the 50s uh, to the 50s, I'm sorry. And uh, after that, uh, textile industry got here. It uh, they, they didn't really last that long. Uh, and after textiles, we have uh, manufacturing and pharmaceuticals. And those are the famous laws of 936 That uh, and I, I don't remember exactly what year they, they were upended. I think it's 1994 1996. But uh, ever since that happened, we've never really had an economy that's oriented as much uh, toward uh, actually growing, and that's the reason because behind why Puerto Rico has been in a stagnant economy and in a deflating economy for the last 15 years. So it's actually very possible to use the agricultural land because we have 600,000 yards, I think it's the conversion of it. In my head, it's 600,000 uh, cuela. I don't know if it translates to yards, but it's a lot of fucking space. And it's, uh, it just gets you to <laughs> know that it's possible to, to actually use this, and it's also possible to to Look to the other side of the world and actually get an, get an example. I mean, you have Singapore, which is rich because of its, its geopolitical and geostrategical location in between uh, Oceania and between Asia. And there you have Puerto Rico, which can't even trade with the rest of the world. In between Latin America, in between the United States and North America, in between Europe and Africa. And there's a lot of trade that goes already through the, the Strait of Mona, and it doesn't even stop here. It doesn't review here. It, does, it goes elsewhere.
3: But
2: I, it, I, I just wanted to that, add to uh, that.
3: Uh, when we talk about all these problems that we see in terms of our trade and why we can't trade, it's on purpose. It's an excuse to say, oh, they just can't do it without us, they just, they're just not able to. If they wanted to build a port, they would have built a port a long time ago. Well, we've had plans to build a port. We've had plans to do trade with the rest of the world. But it's a cudgel against the statehood argument. Because if you have a poor nation that needs help, that is the excuse the United States uses to intervene, to give it a little push so it can do its own thing while still holding it back close to it. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it's 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 frustrating to watch, you know. Especially, like I said, going back and forth a little bit. I don't, I don't travel back to the U.S. that often, but when I do go, they can get anything they want whenever they want, however they want, and it's not in question. And we try to do the same. It's like, no, you can't. And that, to me, is not when you don't. We're not deciding our own fate. And with the current leadership, there's no plan other than stay the course, and that's been a failure. So, to me, I I can't. I don't know when I look at like success and I look at what does that look like, and I look at how do you change something that's broken? Because it's broken. And we, we recognize it's broken. Um, everybody has different solutions, quote unquote, on what's gonna fix it, but like they're not really solutions at all. More federal aid is not the solution. Doesn't change any of the things we just talked about, about opportunities, about all those things, exploitation, doesn't fix those problems. It just continues the same pattern, except you know, we'll have nice roads, maybe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just not, it doesn't do anything for me. Uh, and we alluded to this earlier, but I just want to hit it one more time. Just because a country, and we can go through a list of all the independent countries in the world and what number of them are communists, but independence equals communism is one of the things I've heard people say. It's just, to me, flat out ridiculous. But they're playing on, in my opinion, they're playing on uh, Latino, Cuba. Castro, like, look what they did. That's how we're gonna be. And I, to me, it's just, it's the stupidest drama argument I've ever heard in my life.
3: It's it's an argument that you hear that works on old people because they went through the Red Scare period. They they live that and they live persecution on the island due to well, independence being somewhat of yeah. a taboo subject. And it wasn't somewhat. They bombed a fucking city. Let's be honest about it. It wasn't somewhat. <laughs> I mean, they they tortured people at Ramey Air Force Base. It was not somewhat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but... I, uh, Thank you for correcting the record. It it was it was oppression. And some people say it was it was basically genocide. And um, when when we talk about this, it's that us as young people, they say they tell us all the time. Oh, you don't have fear. You don't know what it's like. You don't you don't didn't live through that. Well, that's true. I didn't live through it. But who's going to impose it on me now? Is it them? The people that I'm. Saying they did this a long time ago. They did this to you. Are you are you saying that just because I want something different, I I'm going to be punished for it. Are, are, is that what you're trying to say? I don't understand sometimes as a young person, the arguments uh, based on fear that some of my grandparents tell me, because it was all based on the Red Scare, McCarthy and all these old school Republican tactics to just scare people out of thinking differently yeah you got
0: anything
2: there yeah actually uh just like thinking of something randomly and uh, it's it's how uh the statehood movement uh uses uh federal funding uh, to incentivize your voters to vote and it's it's somewhat comical because what they express is that they want the island to move forward, they want the island to, to do better and to progress, while the only thing they're actually doing is adding onto the problem. I mean, it's not that exactly we we hate these federal funds and we're not going to take them, but we do have to admit that they've created a system that that lets people uh, not. Uh, be let's sit comfortably, sit comfortably and not really want to work and want to do dignifying and honest honest to God, just progress on the island. It's it's a whole thing about just like let's just keep receiving these federal funds and we're not and if, if we're honest about it we're not gonna grow if we keep doing it. And it's important to stress this line because you see that this is the only thing that uh, pro-statehood uh, people promote. But there you have uh, pro-independence people talking about models of economy. You have actual plans that are that are specified to the maximum detail. I mean, you don't even have only the Puerto Rican Independence Party. You had El El Min had its own uh, had its own proud program. El Partido Socialista Puerto Rican had its own program, and they've constantly done the work, constantly done the effort to know uh, that. Once, we're, once we change the system that we, we live in right now, we can have a plan. We can, even though it probably won't won't be just like the easiest thing. And it just we can't just suppose that once we say it, it'll just be done. A lot of things will change, and that's it's heaven. But we're prepared for that. We're prepared to 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 do it in order to reach a more progressive and more unified Puerto Rico.
0: Guys this has been fantastic I want to thank both of you for coming on is there any if people want to get involved or learn more where can they go
2: they could go to uh, our Facebook page to our Twitter page our Instagram page Uh, we have a form in the bio where you can click you can just like put all your info uh, and we'll, we'll send your contact to the delegate that is in charge of your municipality so you can start collaborating with the people that are close to you so you go to our pages that are always Juventud, uh, went and it, you you can always find a Hotapi, San Juan, Bayamón, and all the others. But uh, once you find the big one, it's honestly it's easy from there.
3: Also, I'll include the link. Just wanted to add: um, there is also for people who are in the diaspora. There is also the DMV area. We have a page on Twitter for that. They also have uh, the Diaspora Puerto Riqueña for Independence uh, Twitter. They also have the Connecticut branch for Partido Independentista. They also have a Twitter and one in New York, if I'm not mistaken. They have a couple of those. I uh, just wanted to add people who want to learn about the government plans that Juan Dalmao and Partido Independentista uh, espouses you can just go to JuanDalMau.com and look up Patria Nueva. There's a PDF and it's all there. All the information's there. You want to read up on theory, you can read up on theory, or you can just listen to David talk about it.
0: Or you can be like me and send Juan a donation. All right, guys. Thanks again. Thanks again for joining the podcast. Thanks so much. And uh, thank you. Thank
2: you. Thank you so much, David.